Hello and welcome to another episode of So Fly. It is um, the end of January, January 28th. We're recording this. This show's coming out January 30th, so, uh, well, actually, Feb 1st, I guess, so happy February. My name is Mitch, and of course, we've got Yelma again in the studio. Hey, guys. And we've got Gab. Hey, everyone. And we've got a very special guest that we've been uh, trying to get on the show for a little while now, who is an incredible angler from southern Ontario. Uh, he's a legend in these waters. Uh, he's been fishing down here for quite some time, and he's uh, an incredible cane um, bamboo rod builder as well. We're very excited to have him on the show today. We've got James Bond. How's it going, James? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, we're very excited to Thanks have you Thanks for on. coming on this uh, very snowy, snowy day. It's very snowing. It's very snowy. It's very Canadian. Yeah. Oh, my God. So Canadian. <laughs> 15, 15, 20 inches of snow right now? Centimeters, I think. Is it inches? Yeah. No, no. Centimeters. <laughs> centimeters. Oh, my God. I was just about to- I was hoping you guys would catch that. <laughs> yeah, we've got some 40 Creek going on uh, again to make this a nice Canadian uh, winter night po- interview podcast. To warm your heart. Yes. Cheers, Gab. Cheers. A little clink. Hey, there we go. Can, can we hear that? You guys leaving me out. <laughs> Yelma, of course, and James. Um <laughs> Okay, excellent. James, yes, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we're very excited to be talking about bamboo rods today. It is a passion, something that I think we're all really interested in learning more about. Um, I have a bamboo rod I've fished, and I think you've fished a gab before. You've tried I've it I've fished out. yours. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've, I've had some experience on bamboo, but I wouldn't say that I have because I... You know, just by grabbing yours. Yeah, and we really don't know a whole lot about... Uh, Gab, geez, my God, what a <laughs> thing to say. We really don't know a whole lot about bamboo, so it's exciting to have you on. But I guess first, James, we could start with just a little bit about, I guess, your fishing history. How did you get into this crazy world of fly fishing to begin with? Well, fly fishing was really later on for me. I started off... My father was a fishery scientist. Mm-hmm. I was born in New Brunswick. Cool. So I started fishing as a toddler on a great big pier that went out in the Bay of Fundy, catching... Whatever was there, it was a blast. Then my father got transferred to British Columbia. So we moved out there, and uh, my neighbor was an old Scotsman, Archie Spear. He took me out in the Fraser River fishing for salmon. You know, not with fly fishing uh, tackle, but just fishing. So it was always a big thing for me. I went and moved back to Ottawa. And Ottawa's not really a trout fly fishing mecca just because it's all (laughs) lakes and kind of warm rivers. But... You know, we fished in the rivers. We caught bass and we caught sandfish and pike and muskie and pickerel, and it was a lot of fun. And then I think through the library, I started reading books and, um, you know, trout and fly fishing and getting the fly fishing magazines back then. And on Saturday afternoons, they had these fly fishing show on ABC Wide World of Sports, and it just looked like (laughs) something that was pretty cool. So when I was about 20 years old, that's when I started fly fishing. Wow. Okay, cool. Wow. So, okay. Out east, out west, and Ottawa. In the middle. That's amazing. Ottawa, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm from Ottawa. All those from Ottawa. So we know exactly what you're talking about when you say trout. It's like... (laughs) You know, we used to catch some lake trout, which is kind of like catching a car battery. Not a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, we would catch some brook trout. We'd go on the the Gatineau Hills and catch a little brook trout. But where was the hatch? Where was the rise? Where was the brown trout? You know, Mm. I had to go to... I went to... Actually, I went to uh, Lake Placid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was my first real time when the fishing looked like it was in the magazines. It looked like it was in the books. And, um, you know, I saw fish rising. I saw bugs in the air. And it's like, this is like amazing. So that's what I just sort of gave up on the spinning tackle and just kept going. And then I had to move to Toronto for work for my job in the early 1980s. And that's when I moved down here. 
Oh, that's crazy. What do you do for work? I was a manufacturer's agent. I sold sporting goods. I sold uh, ski clothing. Oh, right on. And uh, Reebok shoes for Love a long, me. long time. And yeah. Did it ever cross over into the fishing sports? It never did. Oh, no. that's okay. Yeah. Um, that's great. So how? So what made you want to give up spin fishing then? I guess like. I never really wanted to give it up. I just got pulled into fly fishing. Yeah. You know. Um, that's like the classic story, right? Yeah. It's. Yeah. It's the better way to fish for those fish. Mm-hmm. You know, you can run it with your MEP spinner and your ultralight, but... Uh, it's the gateway drug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're learning about <clears throat> aquatic insects, which you never really learned about because yeah. it wasn't important. No. And you're learning the names of the bugs and you're learning, hey, the bugs hatch in the same chronology every year. So, okay, that's cool. I'll learn those. And then in the beginning, you don't really know what bugs in the air, but you kind of figure it out because it's June. So you look at your book or your magazine or your article or whatever, right? So you figure it out. And um, the more time you spend at it, the more experience you get, the better you become. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why fly fishing for me is a, still an incomplete journey, still learning. Uh, I fish with guys that are, I don't know how it happens, but I always seem to fish with guys that are better than me. So I'm always, <laughs> you know, learning from those guys. And Yeah, uh, yeah same here. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. same, it's, same here. Yeah. It's incredible, you know. Um, Gabblers learns learns from me a lot. But look at there's always going to be a better fisherman. There's always going to be a better <laughs> fly tire. There's always going to be a better guy. So once you give up on, yeah, on that, yeah, and you just accept it, yeah, and you want to learn and you listen, and you do your homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely a um, a hobby. Yeah, that you got to do your homework. Yeah, yeah. you got to do your homework. Do you see? Do you think that's going away a little bit in the sport of fly fishing? Like, do you see any? There's just, it's been, so, it's gotten so big, you know, like when I started, it was like, bug, like the books and the bugs. That was only like, I don't know, 15 years ago. All I know is it's the same fish yeah. in the same rivers eating the same things. Mm-hmm. So we had the two handed revolution, you know, that's still going. It's got great momentum. Now we have the Euro nymphing revolution and yeah. that's going and that's got a lot of momentum, but in the end it's the same fish in the same rivers eating the same insects. So yeah. there is no shortcut. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about knowledge. Fish whichever way you want. Uh, fish all the different ways. Mm-hmm. Fish um, carefully. Fish quietly. Yeah. And you'll have good success. But yeah. it's not, there's no shortcut yeah. in this one. But the homework, like, we have to do our homework, but that's part of the fun. Like, uh, it's pretty cool. Like, I've, the last three days I've been tying a lot. Like, I haven't tied for a long time. And then now, like, I go buy spurs. Yep. And then... Yeah, like I've been tying for a long time, but I've spent more time on, on like on Google than actually tying. Like I'm still reading about like new techniques and you know like uh, it's changed. Yeah. But like the flies are kind of like the same; they're just a little bit different. But right. you know, the fly in itself is the same. Like it's like uh, um, for nymphing, you know, like the hair here, the ear hairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've been doing this for thirty years. I mm-hmm. go in the fly shop now, and I I don't recognize the materials. Yeah. So that's all changing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you try new things, but I think that ultimately um, it's steeped in tradition. Yeah. And the bugs aren't changing. And mm-hmm. The fish aren't changing. So you pull from the past. You pull from what's new. And you adapt and you grow and, and you take out of the sport whatever you want. Like some guys, you don't have to go in and deep if you don't want. Mm-hmm. If you want to go deep, go, go deep. deep. I ended up deep because I took up fly tying and I started building the fishing rods mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, you know, there was a guy named Ed Hewitt. He, he was building rivers 
you know, his own rivers. He was this rich guy in the 1930s and <laughs> no 40s. Way. He was building, oh yeah, he was building his own rivers, studying flies. Like, it's been going on forever. You, you, Jesus. you take out of it whatever you want. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. you know oh what, guys? God. I'm just going to build my own river. <laughs> well, he, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen this actually, like in, um, in the uh, Himalayan part of like India. Where yeah. there was uh, British colonies, like they they took the stream and kind of like uh, modified it a little bit, yeah, and f- for like four guys to be able to fish a- each pool. So like they modified it and then they put tr- b- a branch out in it, and yeah, there's like a system like two by two. Hey, Hollywood, yeah, jumped, yeah. Hollywood jumped in with salmon fishing in the Yemen. I mean, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as crazy as it seems, that that's yeah. the way it goes. It's true, eh? But but for me, it was books, yeah. <clears throat> right? So right. there was no internet and. Uh, I got to say that YouTube has revolutionized certainly fly tying. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was getting books with recipes, mm-hmm. and most of them didn't even have colored pictures, or maybe there was at the back some color plates. Mm-hmm. So it was like this weird recipe with these weird materials, and you know, make the tail, you know, one and a half time, you know. But now the guy's there, it's live, mm-hmm. it's real. You can you see. see it. Mm-hmm. You see the steps, you see the, the shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think for people, it's a lot easier now. To, oh, yeah. You know, you want to yeah. tie a fly, you just Google, you know, just grow on YouTube, throw in the name, and there's 20 guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, we talked earlier about Tim Camisa. You yeah. know, he's a guy that I've known from Bamboo, him and his uh, his uncle John. And, you know, he's become, you know, super popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In doing those YouTube videos. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I mean, information, like, it's, I mean, it's crazy how accessible everything is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like there's just, like you said, so many YouTube channels, like podcasts, websites, pictures, everything. Okay, so you come to Toronto, you come down to Southern Ontario. What was your first impression of the water down here? Well, I I was never, I was always in warm water streams. So basically for me, I, I, I went around and I, I ended up on the Credit River. Mm-hmm. I think because of proximity and I think because it had brown trout in it, which really wasn't that accessible to me. And the fact that there wasn't that many people around, yeah, there was the Isaac Walton Club, and there was all that going on, but it was pretty accessible and pretty easy. You know, I went to the Grand for a while when it sort of got, had its heyday, but realistically for me, it was a longer drive, yeah, a different experience, a little more chaotic, mm-hmm. um, stocked fish. And you I mean, hate to say it. What do you mean by chaotic? A lot of people, yeah. cars, mm. parking lot, spots, yeah, guys yeah. waiting. You don't want to feel like. You know, you're hogging a spot or you've got guys that are camped out because they know at 7 o'clock it's going to be good. So at 5 o'clock they're sitting in the pool. And it's kind of yeah. like really not that organic uh, Yeah, you, you lose a little mm. of the magic. You do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do. So not to knock, you know, it's a fantastic fishery. Yeah, for sure. And um, so I just end up going back to the Credit River. I just kept going back to the Credit River. And um, that's basically where most of my trout fishing has been done here. It's a special river, the Credit well, it is because I don't think I'm pretty sure they haven't stocked a brown trout since the 1950s. Really? No, I'm pretty sure. Wow, yeah. And uh, it's changed a little bit since I've been there, quite a bit. But there was more brook trout. I yeah. guess the water's gotten a little bit warmer, mm-hmm. a little bit dirtier because of Orangeville, and yeah. uh, they're still there, but not as predominant. And now there's Atlantic salmon there, and there's all sorts of government intervention. They want to do this, they want to do that. But and I'm worried that in 50 years I won't be around. But you know. I hope the fish will still be there. Oh, yeah, no, it's true. We see, we see. Yeah, exactly. All the development happening. People getting their hands into it, trying to do this and do that, and just kind of mess up the thing that's working instead of just trying to sort of like uh, just bolster it and just make it exist the way it is better. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the ministry says, you know, we want to bring back the wild species. Well, there's not going to be any Atlantic salmon in the Don River. No. You know, 100 years ago, they could pitchfork them out of there. Yeah. So we've got fish up in the credit that have been there naturalized for over 50 years. Just leave them alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, if they're striving, right? why not, right? It's a success story, we know it. They're trying to bring back the Atlantic not... salmon, but... You're not bringing back horse-drawn carriages either. Like exactly. At some point, at great, some point yeah. you got to accept yeah. what has point. happened. Yeah, and why do you want to bring back the Atlantic salmon instead yeah, so, of saving the brook trout, the brown trout, the amazing fishery that exists, mm-hmm. right? So you can, like, fight an Atlantic salmon in a pool like the size of the studio. It's just like it's we like talk about... It's not the same. You know? This is a like, whole podcast right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's funny because we all, like, we talk about the credit all the time with guests and people and everyone we meet, and it's always the same thing. It's like we've got this gem of a resource. It's like, let's just protect it instead of try to change it. That would be my vote. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, Bamboo. How did you find yourself getting into bamboo? I think it's, well, obviously, I got pulled into trout fishing hard. And because I've always been a reader, I was reading all these books. Most of these books were written in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. They were all fishing with bamboo rods. And then you start to look at the magazines, and they look kind of beautiful because they're made out of natural materials. And this guy had one. (laughs) So I actually ordered one from a company called Thomas & Thomas. And for whatever reason... I never got the rod. I'm not sure the whole story. So I had this money tucked aside that I was going to use to buy this rod. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, I decided I was going to go take a course. So I drove to Michigan. And I spent five or six days, I can't remember at this point, with a gentleman called Wayne Katnaw. And he had, there was three, three of us in his class. And I built a rod. It took me about a week. And um, that was the start for me. So then I had to come home and I had to compile all the... Yeah, the gadgets and the gizmos and the tools, and then um, just by chance, a few of us got together and we started this gathering called Canadian Cane. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, it wasn't just me in my basement alone trying to figure this out. There was some other guys, and you could share ideas and your struggles. And oh my God, I can't. This is not working. And what glue are you using? And what's going on? And I can't get this to work. And blah blah blah. Oh, awesome. So that little bit of cross pollination, the sharing of. Uh, of people's time and experience. And um, I just got into it deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's been, well, early 1990s was when that took place. So however many years that has been. Wow. That's amazing. Okay, so the first rod that you got then, did it come, how did it come? Like, how did you assemble it? Did it just come as a cane or? No, it's a round bamboo pole 12 feet long. (laughs) And it's a nasty looking two, it's two inches round. Yeah. And you have to learn where to cut it split it that's why they call them split bamboo because yeah. you're splitting this round bamboo yeah and then um you got to make it into a triangle and then you got to taper that triangle then you got to glue six of those triangular strips together for your butt and then you got to start over again and do it all for your tip and there's kind of recipes that tell you the thickness so every five inches you you have a known dimension so it's going from fat to thin to thin and the tip of a of a trout rod is about oh six six so Point zero six six inches. So Jesus, pretty wow! Small. Yeah, very small. Yeah. So no instructions. You you went there. I got the course. Yeah, no, I knew no nothing. T- nothing. All right, right. And um, I made one. Yeah. And I had no tools, yeah. but I've always been handy. You know, it's one thing if you're going to be a, a if you want to take up rod building, being handy helps. Yeah. So I made my first one. Uh, I made my second one. I made my third one, and you know, it just gets easier. And 
I never sold a rod for 10 years. I sell them now, but I never sold a rod for 10 years because I never was comfortable. Really? Yeah. But what happened was we went to these gatherings and we always had sort of deified these guys. You know, this guy's like, oh, his rods must be incredible. His rods must be fantastic. <laughs> and we go look at them. They're just like ours. Yeah. So we're doing okay. But, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like playing guitar and singing in your basement is a whole lot different than yeah. playing guitar and singing That's in the sure. coffee shop. It is. Yeah. So, um, you know, all of a sudden you're not so nervous. You know, you're not hiding your rods from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. And you want to share them. Yeah. What was the first rod you built? What was the weight? What was the. Seven and a half foot, five weight. It was based on a taper by a man named Paul Young, a noted Michigan builder. Paul Young Perfectionist, it was called. That's cool. And uh, yeah, it's a, a rod I still have. Um, I was just going to ask, where is that rod today? So most of the rods are <laughs> kind of gone away, but that one is still in the tube in the basement. Oh, wow. And um, that one's never leaving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you cringe a little bit when you look at the shape of the grip and yeah. the thickness of the varnish because, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit nasty. But I was proud of it. And, Hell yeah. Uh, and I still am. You know, yeah. it's like anything, you know. Um, you got to just accept what you are and get on with it. You know, yep. if you're afraid, mm -hmm. you're not going to get anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it's like when you when a guy starts tying flies and you look at it and it's kind of nasty looking and you always say, "Oh, it's going to catch fish." Yeah. You know, the rod caught fish, so uh, it's just like the nasty fly, right? Yeah. You get better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 You get better. Practice makes perfect, I guess. For sure. So I want to know more about bamboo in general, where it came from. I think we got the perfect guy to tell us all about how, where did bamboo originate? How did it grow over the years? What's the history of the bamboo rod? Well, you know, fishing rods have been around, who knows? You yeah. know, every country claims to be the guys that invented the fishing rod. But mm -hmm. the kind of fishing rods as we know it, um, you know, England was kind of the leader back in the day, but those were greenheart rods, and they were solid rods, and they were kind of shaped, and they weren't split into pieces and, and brought back in. So there was a guy in, in, in uh, the north, northeast of the United States, and uh, he was credited with building the first split bamboo fly rod. Okay. So they had something called Calcutta cane, which wasn't very good, but that's what they used. I, I don't know, India maybe? Was it from Cal Calcutta? Calcutta. Yeah. We don't know at yeah. this point because that's not what we use now. Right, right, right. It was called Calcutta cane. Yeah. And um, the rods were big back then. Just yeah. all rods were big. And they were a little bit clunky, a little bit heavy. Kind of sloppy. A little bit whippy. Yeah, yeah. not the greatest. Um, there was no dry fly fishing or anything like that. You know, you fished three wet flies yeah. on the swing, down and across, and the rods were nine feet, 10 feet, 11 feet. Yeah. So. Still pretty long, like 11 feet? Yeah, yeah one back in the day. Well, no, they were rod, big. Or? No, they were two-handed, okay. those ones. Okay. Um, but that's what, you know, that's what they were. Because mm. you, you start with the big clunky rod, and then all of a sudden it gets more refined, yeah. more refined. By about 1900, there was quite a few guys, uh, rod companies, making rods, and that's when they started to look like the bamboo rod of today kind of looks like the bamboo rod of 1900. Yeah. Okay. So a little more refined, a little more... Yeah, the, the shorter rods, yeah. because they started to build rods for the area you lived in. Yeah. Um, more delicate guides, <laughs> more delicate handles. Um, Real seats. The same or Yeah, no, starting, there was some yeah. really, really incredible-looking tackle yeah. in the 1920s. Incredible-looking yeah. tackle. Yeah. Um, so it just kept evolving. Um, but basically, most people, like every fishing rod that people fished with was a bamboo rod. Mm -hmm. So the average guy bought his bamboo rod at the hardware store because most sporting goods stores weren't really around. 
So you went to the general store in your town where you'd get your boots and your. It's kind of cool. Yeah, 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 yeah kind of general awesome. store. Yeah, it's cool. It's yeah. cool. So it'd be fifteen dollars for your rod, yeah. basically. Whew. And then in the big cities, New York, Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, where you had the sportsman, yeah. and then later on San Francisco. You had rods made by the Leonard Rod Company or rods made by Payne, and they were three times more, so maybe $50. Yeah. And you would buy those in these fancy shops in these fancy towns where you'd get your shotgun. And um, and a lot of the rod makers were gunsmiths in the beginning. It's just kind of this weird thing they got pulled right. into building these rods. So, yeah, so you would go and buy your Payne rod for $50 at Abercrombie and Fitch in Boston <laughs> or whatever. Those are the days, guys. Abercrombie yeah. and Fitch rod. Is that what it was? Abercrombie and Fitch? But yeah. It was like a, it was a still sportsman uh, yeah. story. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. I had no idea. In fact, you'll see a Payne rod, and it'll say, you know, Payne rod company on one side of the real seat, and then on the other side of the real seat, it'll say, you know, buy Abercrombie and what? Fitch. What? That's <laughs> awesome. I had no idea. Oh, my yeah, God. I like yeah. them so much more now, yeah. I think. Yeah. Or of, not. They kind well, of sold out. It's kind that. of an urban hipster thing. Yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Not, e- not even anymore. I think it's bad. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. I wonder what the models were back then. I don't know if there was naked uh, girls and guys. No. <laughs> Holding no. rods. In maybe, the- actually. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> you know, back then, there weren't a lot, you know, pe- cars were not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Roads weren't like they are today. So, you know, the, the more affluent guy would, would go fishing for a week or two weeks. Right. He would go to the Adirondacks. He would go to Michigan, wherever. If you lived in Chicago, you'd end up maybe in Michigan or, right. or Wisconsin at a camp. Yeah. And do that whole thing. So that's kind of what it was. And then, you know, when the after the Second World War, when there was interstate highways, people could bomb around, and people had car like everybody right. had to kind of get a car by the nineteen forties and fifties, but not everybody had a car in the nineteen twenties. So right. it was kind of a rich guy deal right. in the beginning. Yeah. But the average Joe um, that went fishing fished with a, a rod, uh, with a bamboo rod. Wow. So okay, where does fiberglass and come in to play? That's much later. Yeah, so what happened was, you know, we had a World War One, then we had World War Two, and during World War Two, like World War Two is pretty incredible because they joined the war after Pearl Harbor, December seventh, forty one. So now it's Jan one forty two. Everything stopped. Mm-hmm. They weren't building fishing rods, they were building tanks, B fifty two bombers, right. battleships. So a lot of these companies just stopped making tackle. It, because you, the government wouldn't let you. The government would come to where you were and say what have you got in the back? You got nickel silver. We're going to take that because we need it for who knows what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, you're going to make canteens now. So this little <laughs> factory would make mm-hmm. canteens or tank parts or whatever. So like sad. The, the war effort, but, right? You had to participate. But all of this happened from Jan 1, 1942 till January 1945, like three years. They built all those B-52s yeah. and all these tanks and all those people went. They had two wars at the same time. You had a war yeah. in the Pacific, war in Europe. Yeah. Like, the whole country, it was incredible. So everything stopped in fishing tackle. So then, you know, people come back. We start building fishing tackle. Then the Korean War comes. 1952, everybody watched MASH, you know. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. the Korean War. So the Chinese, who we loved, in they were our allies in yeah. the Second World War. Now we hate the Chinese because they're <laughs> helping the Koreans, because they're all communists. Now we hate communists. Yeah. So the American government decided no more bamboo from China. Wow. So that was where all of our bamboo came from. Mm. came from China. So there was no more bamboo left. So that was a problem. And then because it, they had sort of um, spent all this money in the war effort, there was a pocket of guys up in the state of Washington, and they had been built using composites and materials to make airplanes. 
So they're pretty smart guys. So they decided to make fishing rods, a company called Fenwick. Oh. Started to make fishing rods. Right on. Everything happened up in Washington State because all the engineers were there and they knew how to use fiberglass from building airplanes. So they started building fiberglass fishing rods. So all of a sudden, there's no bamboo from China. We got fiberglass. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it all started. And then there was another company called Lamy Glass. They started up there. Mm -hmm. So these rods were coming out. But of course, their ad said, feels like bamboo. Oh, no way. Because of course. you had yeah, the whole world fishing with bamboo. Yeah. They were going to their hardware store to buy their bamboo fishing rod yeah. for $15. Yeah. And there's no more bamboo. Mm -hmm. So they started using fiberglass. Yeah. And then uh, ultimately, we started the space age and we ended up with graphite. So. Fiberglass started around, you know, in the 1950s. I'll look up, I brought a little cheat sheet with me here. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so around 1950. Fenwick started in 1952. Yeah. And um, so we went, you know, for about 10 years with fiberglass. And then slowly we, we got into uh, graphite, which is the same concept. Rods were made the same way, mm -hmm. just a different material, lighter, mm -hmm. stronger. And then Sage came in around 1980. Uh, actually, the same guys that... We're in the beginning of Fenwick. We're in the beginning of uh, of Sage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the poor old bamboo rod was just not that popular anymore. Yeah. There were still companies making them, but pretty much everybody had um, plastic rods. What's interesting, though, is all these fiberglass rods are still around. Yeah, but, yeah. But all these fiberglass and early graphite rods are gone. You just never see them. Mm -hmm. They got thrown in the trash. For some reason, people kept or valued or perceived bamboo rods to be something to keep mm -hmm. and yet these other ones appear to be something that is disposable mm -hmm. uh, so yeah that's sort of what happened along the way you know uh, we change mm -hmm. our needs change technology changes we had uh, the space age yeah. yeah, that's an interesting. Well, I mean, it's interesting. First of all, that everybody held on to their bamboo rods, even though there was this huge influx of like, you know, fiberglass and graphite coming through. It's like bamboo is something to treasure, maybe because of the craftsmanship or just craftsmanship the, the material too. But even like you yeah. said, back in the day, it was so clunky. It was yeah. just like for some reason people just like liked it more. I get calls from the fly shop downtown, and it's you know, can you praise this rod? Can you come look at this rod? And I go, and it's a rod that's eighty years old. Yeah. They found it in the granddad's closet. Mm -hmm. Is it worth anything? That's what everybody wants everybody to know. Wants to know. Worth anything. So well, most of the time they're not because There's, they were $15 yeah. and yeah. there were millions. Yeah. So you do appraisals as well. Like that's a part of your. Yeah. These are not like official appraisals, but right. basically I'm like, let's make sure it's not a good one. Right. Because <laughs> some of them can be worth quite a bit of money. Right. Got it. I guess so, when, you, uh, when you're when you so close for so long, uh, like from mm -hmm. making them to, like, collecting them, like, you become kind of, like, the local expert. Yeah. Is that something that you would think about doing, like, actually getting licensed to do appraisals? Because I know my, my old professor at OCAD, Anthony Jeffries, he appraises for a living, and he makes a killing. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I know, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know about that, but I am basically sort of the local guy just by default, mm -hmm. if nothing else, right? Yeah. But uh, Well, I think before we get into the worth of these things, it's interesting to talk about Space Age. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you want to film this one? Uh, yes. We're just going to make a little short little yeah, clip. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I, wanted, I, I definitely want to know about this idea of Space Age influencing um, graphite and the whole rod industry yeah. and how... 
that stuff all came into things. And I think it's funny. I think it's interesting that it didn't just come up, come by just because of like a new material. It came because of we didn't have the material anymore. We got to think of something else to do. Yeah, it, it was actually, yeah. Well, fiberglass became the replacement because yeah. the material wasn't available. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess the, the Second World War, all that effort being put into, like people don't realize that in the Second World War at the beginning, they didn't have plastic. Right. They didn't have saran wrap. Mm-hmm. So all these things that we take for granted were slowly coming in. They have cotton tarps. Yeah. You know, we'll get this plastic sheet. Well, what's plastic? <laughs> yeah. So it's the same thing with fiberglass. I think fiberglass itself wasn't really invented till the 1930s, so no one really knows about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the application is we'll use it to build airplanes. And then all of a sudden when you are a company that's making a material, you say, okay, now we're selling it to airplane companies. Let's, can we make golf clubs? Can we make blenders? Can we make yeah. guitars? Can right. we make cars? Yeah. Like, what can we use this material for so we can make more money yeah. and sell it to more industries? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that all happens with time and yeah. fiberglass that we now know is used for everything. Yeah, you know, Insulation in your house. And, Showers. Yeah. Everything. Hot everything. tubs. And now, and now fiberglass kind of got bludgeoned by graphite. Yeah. But now fiberglass as a material for rods is coming back. It's not as big as graphite, but it's become a you see it in some places. Yeah, material. Yeah. So how does so how does the space age come into this whole thing? The Russians put a satellite in outer space. Yeah. And America went berserk. Yeah. <laughs> so people are building bomb shelters in their backyard. Uh, kids in school are being taught to look away from the nuclear blast. Um, they're selling refrigerators with space age materials. So every, all these new materials, anything that was made, you know, in the late 1950s was space age because it was the space age because we were Apollo, we were going to put a man on the moon, the Americans, not us, but they were going to put a man on the moon and all this money that was spent on space research got us new materials, got us engineers, got us smart people. And then you spin off to where can we sell our material to? So fiberglass kind of got killed by graphite, which was lighter, stronger. Mm -hmm. And for fishing, you know, they perceived that to be a better thing. So we all bought those. And then they tried to sell us boron rods. And then they decided, oh, graphite's fine. (laughs) But then when you look at like Sage ads who've been making graphite rods since 1980, they're better every year. Right. I'm not sure how they do that. It's got to be partly marketing. I know that obviously there is improvement in graphite. Yeah. They yeah. are lighter. They yeah. are faster and stronger. But, you know, is a 10-year-old graphite rod probably pretty darn good? I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Why not? Uh, so, but, you know, we want to buy. Advertising does that. Advertising tends to make things taste better, look better. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was Orvis that uh, came out with a lifetime guarantee. Yeah. So that drove the price of rods up because everybody had to now offer a lifetime guarantee on their rods. Right. So before they'd sell your rod for maybe back then $250, now they're selling you the same rod with a lifetime guarantee for $400 mm-hmm. because they got to pay for, if you close your door on your rod, they got to give you another rod. So, you know, the prices got bumped up. And then, of course, you know, the materials are better. Yeah. And the rods are lighter. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're, they're great rods. I'm not knocking graphite rods at all. They're great rods, but it's, uh, you know, a lot of it is... Whatever. <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. Just the stuff built around the rods, I guess. I like the image of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are fishing for tarpon. People are fishing for a lot of exotic species with uh, 
sporting sport fishing for exotic species that didn't really exist all that often. Yeah, yeah. And of course, with two handed now, you know, two handed rods were always really cumbersome yeah. and not that pleasing. And now they're so easy to use, and they're so much lighter. And, yeah. You know, they've really helped revolutionize fly fishing and bring a lot of new people in. And even guys that were tired of fishing the same way over and over and over again got the two-handed rod. They got re-energized. They're going out more. And you can, it's better, you know, on those big western rivers to have a great big rod. You can belt the line out than Mm -hmm. standing there with your nine-foot, eight-weight rod Mm -hmm. casting 60, 70 feet. All of a sudden, these guys are casting 120 feet with ease. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. It's funny that you mentioned... um, when the graphite, when the was that when the graphite and the uh, fiberglass came out, they said they had a bamboo feel. That's right. But now that glass is back, a lot of sometimes they say, "Oh, this is a fast glass." So yeah, they make the glass feels a little more like the graphite. It's romance. Yeah, you know, it's sizzle. But again, there's like certain sage rods that might be 20 or 30 years old that were so incredible, they've got like a real loyal following. Everyone's trying to get this particular model in this particular yeah. size because that rod was so sweet, mm-hmm. so awesome. You know, on the secondary market, everyone wants those ones. So, yeah. you know, it's like anything you, uh, you, you evolve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where is bamboo in this space time? Where, where are we in the timeline? Well, what sort of happened with bamboo is the big companies really gave up on making them because it wasn't profitable for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes 50 or 60 hours to build a rod. Um, it takes no time at all to roll a graphite blank. Yeah. So pretty much they gave up on it. There are a few companies like Winston, like Thomas & Thomas, that still offer, and even Hardy's offer, um, a fly rod made of bamboo. I think Hardy's, when I talk to the guy, roughly 200 rods a year. Wow. So... It's not a big deal, but it's important heritage product. Same thing for Winston and Thomas and Thomas. But what sort of happened was the underground revolution of guys like myself uh, building rods. Mm -hmm. um, We're the guys that are selling the volume of rods. So everywhere across North America and around the world, there's guys like me Mm -hmm. or maybe two guys, you know, building rods and selling six rods a year or 20 rods a year, mm-hmm. or a really big guy would sell 50 rods a year, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where most of the people that are fishing bamboo rods are getting their rods from. So wherever mm-hmm. you live, there's a guy, and you meet the guy. And mm-hmm. um, that's why we have our, our gathering, Canadian Cane, mm-hmm. which is we all get together and meet and share ideas and talk about bamboo. And, and so that's been a real a real renaissance. But... There was a guy named Ron Barch who had the Planning Form newsletter. He was kind of the guy that was credited with revolutionizing the, the underground movement. Mm-hmm. He figures there's about 3,000 guys worldwide building bamboo rods. Okay. So it's not a ton of guys. Yeah. Worldwide. Worldwide. Yeah. I see a movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the bamboo I, underground revolution. I have yeah, a really. question. So, um, James, in uh, southern Ontario or like, like y- around Toronto, you're the guy. But well, like, how many people there is uh, like you in Ontario, for example? Like, I'm not going to ask every province. I would love yeah, to know. See, but well, in Ont- so there's a lot of guys that maybe build one or two. Okay. Like, just for themselves. Mm-hmm. Then there's probably six, five or six guys that are maybe selling a few rods every year in Ontario. That's about it. Five okay. or six guys. That's, that's, that's pretty good, yeah. though. Like, when yeah. you think about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought you'd be not. I didn't think you'd be the only one, but I didn't think there would be six people. So that, yeah. that, that's pretty cool. That yeah, pretty cool. you know, there's a guy here and there's a guy there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it like for me, most of the rods that I sell are a guy that has got a rod from me. He went fishing with it. He tried it out. He liked it. He had asked me to make him one. Mm-hmm. So it's a really, it's not like I have a website and these strangers order rods from me. It's mm-hmm. usually someone that reaches out to me. Yeah, hey, I heard you make or rods. Something. Or I heard you make rods. I'm interested in getting a rod. Mm-hmm. And mostly they don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. They just kind of think that they want one. And uh, I think there's a real fear of bamboo rods, that they're not strong, that they're going to break, that they're delicate. But I keep saying to people, every rod was bamboo until 1950. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they're still around because I see them at the fly shop. Mm-hmm. So yeah. don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, go fish with it. They're they're pretty strong. But at the same time, like um, I'm a notorious rod breaker. I lost a tip uh, about like a month ago. Um, I break a rod a year. Like if you break your bamboo rod, um, yeah, it's kind of it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking. I think because it's like so it's uh it's organic. It's there's like something to it. If you break it. You're like, like you, uh, you, you had a problem with yours. You didn't break it like by accident or something. It was I like fell a, on a rock. Okay, so you did. So you did. Never mind. <laughs> I fell on a rock and yeah. I landed. You know what? I f- on the Sable River in Lake yeah. Placid. There I bet you, you yeah. felt a lot more shittier. I was than yeah. in Ottawa Piscat if you like break a a graphite rock. It's like, a funny image people you know? fumbling mm-hmm. around rivers, especially in the Sable. Giant well, boulders. You got boulders bigger than cars. Oh yeah. And I slipped off of one and I fell into another one rod first with my five weight bamboo rod. And it cracked a little bit of the varnish. I was able to get it repaired. Yeah. yeah. But um it is. I know it's exactly what you mean. Hundred percent, you mm-hmm. know. Well I do quite a few repairs, but you know, if a guy like I've had guys come to me with their uh Hardy, mostly, it's funny it's Hardy's because the Simpson store down by the Eaton Center, Yeah, they sold a lot of fishing tackle. It was the place to go. Yeah, They sold tons of Hardy rods. In Ontario, there's tons of Hardy rods. So I'll get guys that are calling me, I broke my tip. I'm like, okay, I might be able to repair it, but I can build you a new one. Right. So I take that, that, that broken rod, mm-hmm. I measure it every five inches, mm-hmm. make a little graph. I know exactly the size of the rod, build another uh, section, yeah. Take off the guides, take off the ferrules, put their original right. hardy guides, the original hardy ferrule back on. Mm-hmm. Bob's your uncle. Yeah, the rod looks like new. You'd never know. Right. You know, why repl- Why fix when you can just yeah. rebuild? Yeah. I mean, well, sometimes you can fix them, but it just depends where and how right. broken they are. It's like yeah. when, when you're like, oh, Gab, here, try this. Like I'm like so nervous. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna catch fish because my heart is like pumping. Like I just like, even like when I'm if I'm walking with it, I'm like I don't even like to walk with it. I don't know about it's you just... guys, but when I was younger, I had I I would I would there's a place called Billings Bridge Plaza. It's on the Rideau River in Ottawa. Okay. So I'd ride my bike down this big hill, yeah. and I had my rod on the tube of my bike, and it would vibrate, <laughs> and inevitably the tip would go into the spokes, snap oh. off. Now you go to the fishing store, you, buy a, big, hear you it. buy a bigger guide, it. and you stick it on. So all yeah. of a sudden, your rod, which was eight feet long, is now seven, nine, I have seven, done six. that. Yeah. Have you know, yeah. they, st- they were spinning rods. Good. It's fine. Yeah. So. yeah. Stuff breaks. Yeah. I did that with a fly rod once, actually. There the you tip go. broke, bought a new furl, just stuck it back on. Ugh. I still have the rod. It's great. Good. Yeah, yeah well, I was bushwhacking <laughs> and went straight into a tree, yeah. and it just went clack. Yep. The other day, I'm just walking, and I, I undid all my line, put my fly away. I'm bushwhacking. I come up, uh, put my rod uh, back into the tube, missing the tip. Aww. You know, like, it's just like... It happens. It's, like, it's always the dumbest the dumbest yeah. reason. Like, it's just 
inadvertence. Well, it's literally just ADD. Fishing rods tend not to break when you're fishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's no. It's the true. way I always say to people: go to the car, take your rod apart, put it in the tube. Yeah. Then take off your. They just put the rod away. Put the rod away. Don't first. put it on the top. No. Yeah. Don't Lake, put it in I remember the in Lake door. Placid, I, I lost my waders. I put them on the top. <laughs> Drove away. And, oh, no way. Yeah. Waiters. So now you're heading down to the, yeah. the store there to get new waiters. Oh, that's oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone took those waiters right away. That's hilarious. You know, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I so, sent. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you got Okay. I sent a rod to St. Croix and they asked you the reason why you break it. And I was like, oh, it was a huge carp and that's just a five weight. And like, I'm thinking, like, I'm, now I'm like, they were probably like, yeah, bullshit. Yeah, they, <laughs> they know. You, you they walked know. on it. <laughs> they know. They know. Side, yeah, note, yeah. side note, Billings. How was fishing Billings? Did you ever catch any muskie or anything like that down there? Yeah, well, you, well okay, so we caught. It's funny because uh, people talk about catch and release. Well, we, we caught and released fish because we would catch 60 or 80 fish a day. Oh, my God. What are you going to do with them all, right? So you just yeah. let them go, right? Yeah. Um, so we caught uh, pickerel, yep. pike, a lot of bass. Yeah. A lot of panfish, and people, you know, make fun of panfish, but rock bass and sunfish. Yeah, they're awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we caught white bass down there. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, in Ottawa, hey. That's... In front of the Mr. Donut yeah. on the Billings Bridge Plaza. Yeah. I went there every day with my friends. That's where we spent the day, because you're not working yet. You're at that age. You're 13, yeah. 12, 13, 14, and you didn't need to be supervised back in the day. So you jump on your bike. Yeah. It's free to go fishing. We went to Laurentian Trading Post. We got tackle, Canadian Tire and Heron Road. Yeah. You know, like, it's all pretty simple stuff. I got my first fly rod at Canadian Tire and Heron Road. It was a Shakespeare, nine-foot, seven-weight, um, level line. So the line had no taper to oh, it. Yeah. And I had a knockoff of a Martin reel. So what? not, not just a Martin. It was a knockoff <laughs> knock of a Martin reel. <laughs> that's awesome. And that was my first one. I don't know where that's gone. I have an old yeah. Martin in my uh, in my bookshelf. Yeah, yeah they're, they're funny. They're man. pretty bumped up. <laughs> well, that's what I, I used to fish down there, too, when I was a teenager, and I would I had an old setup, a scientific angler setup, too, and, and tons of fish species there. It's crazy, yeah. you know? Just yeah. a- anything you want to catch. You, Ottawa's, Ottawa's cool like that. You got me curious. Where's Billingbridge? Uh, it's on the Rikido River? Because I probably fished it's it like a couple of times. Bank I, Street. Okay. No, I thought I have On the south end of Bank Street. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, like Bank yeah. goes Near over. Near Carleton University. Yeah. Because I, I spent Near two Carleton. years, uh, almost two years in, in Ottawa, and I fished yeah. around. But I fished mostly like the Ottawa River. And, Champlain. And then the, the, yeah, the Gatineau River. Yeah. Now there are apparently brown trout in the Ottawa River. Champlain, yeah, they yeah. stock them. They stock yeah. them there. I saw, every I saw them jump like yeah. big one, like I caught one once. inches. I did, never caught one, but I've, I, I've saw them like jump. Yeah. They're, they're, they get, they just don't stand a chance because the heat and also the sure. birds yeah. and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people go and fish them out, but you, I mean, who knows? Maybe they, they end stuck up somewhere. Them, I don't know. Yeah, they stuck them already big. I don't know if they still do it though. We keep talking about that. They uh, anywhere Someone from should email us. I think they do anywhere from ten to eighteen because I caught oh, one like okay. about ten inches and then I looked over and I saw a bird, a heron, whoom, just grab one mm-hmm. out of the river. I'm like, oh, there and it was also like a ridiculous amount of like pike and smallmouth bass in this oh, yeah. place. So like, they're they've been attacked by every yeah, front. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool that you fish in Ottawa. It's really Ottawa's an interesting fishery. Yeah. 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 So okay. Um, Excuse my ignorance on this, but okay. I'm using a bamboo rod. Are there different, you know, um, types of action on it? Like, is I have the graphites, and there's different speeds that I'm using. Well, there's, they're really, you know, all fishing rods are somewhat the same in that, depending on the taper of the rod yeah. and the materials used, they're going to have different actions. Right. 
So it depends uh, on the build. Yeah, it depends right. on, uh, you know, a lot. Bamboo rods have changed a little bit. The actions now are a little more modern, especially for guys that have grown up with graphite rods. Mm. But um, the older rods historically were not great for casting because right. they were designed, as I said, to fish three wet flies mm. down and across. So you got to pick up a silk line, which gets wet, yeah. three flies, whip it in the air. You don't need to dry your fly off. There's no need to false cast mm. ever. Yeah. Throw that line back down, take a step down the river, and keep going. Right. When dry fly fishing started to become more popular, you know, it started to change, and um, rods, be like people like Leonard and people like Payne were making rods to suit the area that they were from and the fishing that people want dry fly fishing, they want, they need to fish differently. Mm -hmm. And the rods got shorter, shorter, much shorter, down to seven feet, six and a half feet. Um, so from nine, you've got, you're dropping two, two and a half feet on these rods. So it all kind of changed at that point when Leonard and, and Payne were starting to make rods for discernible sportsmen as opposed mm -hmm. to the three wet fly down and across kind. Right, right, right. Okay, okay, because I'm just, I tried Mitch's bamboo, um, I tried some glass, and I just, I need to find something that's fast with my, you know, because. Yeah, because you know your I mean? style. Yeah. Just yeah, you want to hammer style. it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, Until I get more refined, and then maybe, you know, once I perfect the specific way I cast, and I can kind of like. Well, you, you know, you shouldn't that. have to buy, you shouldn't have to buy a rod and then change your casting style. That's not, mm -hmm. that's not really fair, so. uh you know, find it's like anything. Like with my rod, you find a rod that suits you. Yeah. You know, um, and everyone has a different style. But typically, the rods are medium action. Yeah. I would say medium yeah, to fast yeah. action because that's what everyone wants. Yeah. 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 Okay. Medium fast, yeah. So how do you go? So okay, that's an interesting way to like go into. Well, I guess first of all, when did people get back interested in bamboo? Space is done. The space age is sort of. You know, we've got our new materials. Things are sort of ramping down. How does bamboo kind of come back to the surface? It's Robert Redford's fault. <laughs> so the movie came out, Norman McLean's book, A River Runs Through It. Yeah. They made a Hollywood movie. And uh, people were flocking to go fly fishing. Yeah. So yeah. not only they were like, I want to fly fish. They were like, I want to use a bamboo rod like, like them. Well, some did, some didn't. But, okay, okay. but that whole mm -hmm. push It created of people, a movement. It did. Yeah, it brought people out and in. And uh, where, you know, it was always kind of an underground thing. Uh, it was okay. It was cool again to, to fish that way. And, you know, there's some people think that bamboo guys are snobby guys or elitist guys. And, you know, that's not really true. They're just... Um, well, you don't know Mitch, but yeah. It's, it's yeah. not true. Like we have, <laughs> it's we like, have Joe, Mitch's uncle. He's yeah. like the most open guys with us. You yeah. come here. like Well, no. there's jerks everywhere, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, bamboo rods, people are cool. You know, it's romantic. <laughs> so you... For me, I read the books. Um, I want to fish kind of that way. Mm -hmm. The problem with bamboo rods is they're not, you know, you're not going to go steelhead fishing with a great big bamboo rod, most likely. Mm -hmm. But for small stream trout fishing, rods eight feet and under, I think bamboo is better. It's more suited to fishing those uh, types of situations than a graphite rod. Mm -hmm. You don't need bigger, faster, stronger, yeah. lighter to fish when you're casting 30 feet. You want precision, you want smoothness, you want to be able to set the hook, mm -hmm. you want to be able to fight the fish. So I think our, our, our rods for that purpose, I think, are better than, than graphite for that purpose. But as they get longer and bigger, 
you know, if I'm going to go fishing on a, on a salmon trip out, out, out east, I'm going to bring a graphite rod with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes yeah sense. that makes yeah. sense. That yeah. was going to be my I next question, but yeah. There's a guy out west, Reed, maybe it was his name that yeah. I saw, that he makes a, a two-handed uh, bamboo rod, right? For steel. I don't know if it's for like steelhead or something, but I know I well, kind of focus on that. See, this is the beauty of the thing. It's where you are. Mm-hmm. So Jim Reed yeah. is the guy. He's Jim a Reed, very okay. well-known maker, and he's selling rods, quite a few rods, and they're not free. He does a nice job. And then there's another gentleman named Bob Clay who was selling rods, and he's a salmon guy. He lives up in Steelhead Country, up in the Babine, and he's okay. selling rods as well uh, for two-handed fishing. So those and guys have Steelhead. They make rod for Steelhead. You're you're surrounded by amazing uh, trout fish fish fisheries. You make trout rods. Hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. 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 New makes, England. Makes so like sense. we're we're kind of like New England, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That's what we ha- what we are, right? Yeah. Out there. Think about it. We they have mountains that melt, mm-hmm. and all this stuff comes ripping down, and you got mm-hmm. crazy powerful freestone streams. Uh, you need different tackle. Mm-hmm. It's just a different, hundred yeah. percent different deal. And the fish that's just back from the ocean, as well. I don't know if that matters with the fish in the rod, but like I mean, those fish are pretty powerful strong, fish, you know? right? Like they're oh. powerful. Yeah. But you know the pe- the people that know tell me that you know. Uh, a 10-pound strong steelhead out here is not much different from a 10-pound steelhead okay. out there. But they're catching bigger fish, and mm-hmm. those are apparently super powerful, mm-hmm. strong fish out there. Those mm-hmm. babbing fish, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so Jim Reed does a nice job. I don't know him personally, but I've corresponded with him. Uh, and then Bob Clay, of course, selling 200 rods as well. And he's a guide, and he's very authentic, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So River Runs Through It comes out. People are back into fly fishing. Yep. It's crazy. Sports taking off. Everybody's flocking to the fly stores. Bamboo rods are uh, gaining importance. Yep. Uh, and the Canadian Cane, the gathering, kicks off. Yeah, so the, ga- the gathering, our first gathering was, we, are, we had our meeting in 1994. There was about 10 guys or so. Yep. We had our first gathering in 1995. So the 10 guys have dwindled down to two, George and myself. And uh, <laughs> basically what it is is there was a, a gathering out in Western Canada. Okay. But that's pretty far mm-hmm. and very expensive for the average guy to go to. So he said, you know, we need we need our own. Mm-hmm. So we went, they were every two years. So we went on the year that they weren't having their event. Mm-hmm. And we made up a flyer and we sent the word around and 40 people came. Uh, some were mostly builders, amateur builders, some guys that wanted to get into building. Um, so we've been going since then, 1995. I think we're going again in May of 2019 in 2017 we had about 70 people so it's two days in fergus at a barn yeah and um it's anybody you know everyone's welcome to come we we feed you and we have little seminars on rod it's not so much on starting rod making because most of us have already started so that would be counterproductive right yeah but I'll do a demonstration on varnishing, or Joe will do a demonstration on quad rods, and so-and-so will do a demonstration on designing a taper, right. or how to wrap guides, or how to split bamboo, or whatever. Yeah. So it's kind of like um, a get-together. It, primarily, it's a get-together, yeah. a reason for us to all reconnect, and also for a newcomer to come in and be welcomed into the community. So if a guy comes and wants to get started, he's going to meet people. Yeah. If he lives in London or if he lives in Hamilton or whatever, he's going to find a, a guy near him. Hey, and the question is, you know, can I come over? 
<laughs> so now you go over to the stranger's house, but you're not strangers anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And he's showing you all this stuff because he's proud of it, and he's got his equipment, and he's showing his rod that he made. And um, it's it's really really organic. It's really fun, and uh, it's important now. The problem is, you know, we're doing a podcast, but I'm 62, so most of the guys are around my age, and it's hard to get new younger guys. We have a few, but it's. You know, it takes 50, 60 hours to build a rod. You need mm -hmm. some tackle if you live in an apartment. You're just getting out. It's probably not a hobby that you're going to dive into. But, you know, hopefully you'll get peaked, you know? Yep. And mm -hmm. um, start Mitch to understand, to do some it. reading. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a blast, Definitely. you know? It's like anything else. It's a blast. It's like fly time, you know? It's a yep. blast, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, like, the amount of work that goes into building a rod. And, and like you said, like, fly tying, you can fish with that rod, and it's something really special and unique, right? Yeah, so guys like myself, Joe, and Roy, you know, we've gone fishing and we've caught the fish on the rod that we made with the, the fly that we tied. And yeah. yeah. I made a reel. I made a reel. So once. Oh, no you way. Know, oh, really? I made That's a reel. cool. I've only wow. made one. Yeah. Oh, my God. So How, I, what was that? What? The process behind that? You made a bamboo reel? No, I, I, made, I made a reel. No, it's, it, looked, it looks like a hardy reel. It's funny because it wasn't that hard to make the reel, but it was really hard to make the drag. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of a. That's uh, crazy. So you're like really handy. I'm really it, it, handy. Yeah. I got to say, my dad had the handy gene. I got the handy gene. Yeah. Yeah. See, for me, if I would make a, a rod, it, it would look terrible. <laughs> I can't even, like, put frame together. And, and this guy's happily straight. married and just, you know, desired, yeah, man, but, uh, desired by his But you wife, know what? You it. know why I'm married? Because <laughs> I can't take care of a house. I, I need someone <laughs> to do that. Like, Amazing. <laughs> I can't fix shit and stuff. Like, so I'm not handy. Like, a. Um, I love like I'm super impressed with like rod builders and I love meeting them yeah. because there's no way I could do as fine mm -hmm. as a, a an art form that I that I could do like I just like like I'm so impressed. Well, one uh, of the you, questions like, take a pieces of like dry grass because like bamboo is like oversized grass that's dry. Yeah, and then you cut it in four pieces and make a rod. Like I'm so impressed. <laughs> it's it uh, the question I get the most is you know is it hard, and it's not right. hard. It's not hard. Learning a second language mm -hmm. is hard. Learning a musical instrument is hard. Learning to make a bamboo rod is not hard. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. Yeah. It's time and no, but it's it's, right? it's time yeah. and effort. Yeah. It's time, time and effort and, and, and effort. homework. You said some you know, patience, reading. homework, studying. Mm -hmm. um, a bit of passion too. But a lot hopefully, you get that that you know in, that snowballs. That's right. what. Yeah, I think hope. passion you nurture it. Right? Like, like at first you're curious, then you're interested, right. then you become passionate. Yeah. yeah, it's like fly tying. You know, I just gonna tie a few flies, and then you, you know, like for me, a fly, my fly tying has sort of evolved because now basically I tie twelve flies. You know, there's certain flies that I need to go <laughs> fishing. I tie the same twelve flies over and over. I got Rubbermaid containers full of stuff <laughs> I'll never use. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just tie the same twelve flies. It's like I, I tie my dad's flies for his summer, and yeah. it's basically muddler minnows in three sizes. There you go. <laughs> it's yeah. the same flies, yeah. just in three different sizes. It's funny how we do Maybe that. Maybe a couple colors. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you say you tie the same 12 flies, but when it comes to like when it comes to building a rod, how do you approach that? Are you building the same rods over and over, or how do you? Well, basically for us, you know, it's it's just like graphite. So you've got the length of the rod. So for bamboo trout, it's seven well, principally for us in Ontario anyway, it's seven to eight feet. Mm -hmm. After eight feet, they start to get a little bit heavy, tip heavy, right? Right. So that's kind of what we do. And then it's just like 
like graphite, it's the weight, you know, the three weight, four weight, five weight. My world is four weight, five weight, sometimes seven. I'll jump to seven. Yeah. Um, bass or um, steelhead. Yeah. But still, I try to go from seven to eight feet, but some rods are seven, seven, three, seven, six, seven, nine, mm-hmm. eight. And they all have different properties to them. Um, I've got rods that are spectacular and beautiful. I can fish a dry fly, but there's no way I could throw on a heavy nymph with that rod in the early part of the season and go fishing with it. It just would not go well. Mm-hmm. So you need a rod that's a lot stronger, um, stronger in the tip that can handle maybe a couple, dare I say it, split shot or something, you know, whatever, yeah. you, whatever you need to, mm-hmm. to yeah. get the fly there. So you can do all those things on bamboo. And, um, just like you guys know as being trout fishermen, you know, there's no one size, right? right. So you buy mm-hmm. one, and then all yeah. of a sudden you buy a second <laughs> Now one you carry that, three rods to the exactly river now. Like, two, yeah. three rods. Yeah. Yeah. So, so do, do you find yourself getting creative with the process and building rods specific to a place or a condition? or? Well, for me, I've kind of gone a different way. So I've kind of adopted my, my, my mantra when I go to build a rod is that if I could take that rod in a time machine and somebody found it in 1940 on their stream, it would look like it belonged. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's no space age. I don't use fancy, I don't, it has to look like the rod that was in Abercrombie and Fitch in 1950. Mm-hmm. It has to look that way. So that's my journey, right? There are other guys' journeys that they want to they want to hollow their rods. They want to make them stronger. They want to make bigger. They want to make longer. Everyone's journey, everyone's story is a little bit different. So I've kind of decided because you know, it's hard to be. You can be jack of all trades, master of none. My rods, I use the same color threads. I use the same varnish. So my rod looks like my rod, whether it's seven feet or eight feet. They're all look the same, and uh, it's good branding. You well, got your style. Yeah, you yeah, got your it's, style. You it's know, like, like a, a musician, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you've got to be true to your your thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not going to buy a real fancy, boobinga, highly figured real seat mm-hmm. because they didn't have them back there. Mm-hmm. They used trees that were out back, walnut <laughs> or, or whatever, right? And yeah. You're building rods in, in a factory in, in New York State. You're going to get wood from New York State, not from the Brazilian rainforest. Exactly, yeah. So it's not. I'm not passing judgment on other guys. You know, mm-hmm. some guys want to go highly decorated. They want to engrave everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I my rods, if that's what it's like. I guess if you're a guitar maker, you know you want to build your guitars to look, you know, like a like a guitar. You know, yeah. if you get too weird, then guys are like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. That's well, what you want to go there. It's not for yeah. the not for the weird clientele, that's for sure. Yeah. Do you make your rods? I'm assuming you make your rods on demand. So, like, let's say Mitch and I want one, would call you. Yeah, pretty much. I I sometimes have a rod around because I'll bang one out. But mm-hmm. typically, um, I will meet you. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about your needs. Exactly. You know, what's your ideal day? What are you going to fish mostly? Well, mostly I'm going to go to the Grand. Mostly I'm going to go to the Credit. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, and this is what I think my day is. And I'll say, okay, I'd I'd, I'd go here. Mm-hmm. My 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 theory on first rods is, it's more like an SUV. So. It does a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if the car's too small, you can't, you know. So if I get you a, the bigger rod, a little bit stronger, you can do anything you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to be pigeonholed into just fishing light flies. Yeah. So uh, exactly. I kind of go that that approach. But if I have a guy who comes and says, you know, I go up, I go up, uh, I like to fish for 
head water brook trout. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to get them. I'm going to make them a nice small rod, lightweight. Yeah. That's going to yeah. be mm-hmm. perfect. And I'm going to say to them, hey, you know, make sure, you know, you don't start throwing a a, a woolly bugger, mm-hmm. you know, in size four. Like that's yeah. not what this rod's going to do, yeah, for right? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I told the guy a rod. He was a retired OPP guy and. I want to go bass fishing. And I'm like, okay, come down. Like, <laughs> you can go on the dock and catch a bass, yeah. no problem. But, you know, it's, yeah. you know, be careful. So exactly. he got it. But yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You talk about history and heritage um, going into the ways you like to fish bamboo and having a rod that looks like it could be fished in 1950. Would you say that's what inspires you as a builder? That Yeah, for sure, for me. I mean, it's that direct connection to uh, the golden age of fishing. Mm-hmm. The Golden Age. Uh, there's a famous guy named Art Flick. I don't know if you've heard yeah. of Art. Yeah. yeah. So he's yeah. a fly tyer, and his dad owned a, a lodge in New York State, and uh, he would take people out fishing. So he gets a call from this judge. He takes him out fishing, and the judge says, you know, do you do any dry fly fishing? And Art Flick's like, well, what's dry fly fishing? Like, they didn't even know. Mm-hmm. He goes, I fish three red flies on the swing. So, wow. you know, it's all very new. It's all very real. Mm-hmm. So these guys are now passed away, but they're only one generation away. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what I've kind of, I don't identify so much with the guy in 1880. Mm-hmm. Those rods don't really appeal to me, but starting from 1900 to 1950, for me, those are the rods that I like. Yeah. That are the guys that I, it's like, it's no different than musical tastes. Yeah. yeah. Those yeah. are the guys that I revere. Yeah. You know, guys like Garrison, Dickerson, Paul Young, people that, uh, Made a living making rods, the Leonard Rod Company, you mm-hmm. know, those are the rods that uh, I like. So mm-hmm. that's what I do. And I was just down in Pennsylvania the weekend with a friend of mine, Tim Abbott. He's a, a really smart guy. He builds incredible rods, but his rods don't look like mine. His mm-hmm. philosophy is different. He builds them a different way. They have a different look to them, and they're fantastic. And so there's all kind. It's not all the same. Like there's lots of guys doing different things, different looks. There's four-sided rods five-sided rods, six-sided rods. There's uh, bamboo rods with graphite ferrules. Mm-hmm. There's bamboo rods with splice ferrules where there are no ferrule, where they're, they're they're lashed together, so to speak. So there's lots of different stuff out there. Yeah. yeah. It's whatever you want. I, I tend to be a... Uh, You're three sides, right? Yeah, six yeah. sides. Six sides? Six sides. Hexagon. Really? Yeah. I thought I'm three was the, the one back then, they, or did I misunder? N- not, no, it's a six. Six, okay. Yeah, okay. Or pretty, six is pretty much the... Uh, the all day, every day. Is there anything called the three? I don't know why I said that. No. There's four quads. There's four. There's a quad. Oh, my God. Can you can you cut this out? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good to know because it's interesting that there's a four, there's a quad type. Yeah, so a four-sided rod, you know, the casting properties are much different. That rod yeah. is much different than a six-sided rod. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> why do those exist? Like, why have a four-sided rod? Well, why not? There were 12 Sided rods. Oh no you know, way! People, oh yeah, people have tried oh, so all kinds of things. So, uh, oh, okay. wouldn't more more pieces, more sides, more faces add to the the f- fragility of of the rod? No, I don't think so. It's yeah. just the casting properties. A four sided rod. Uh, my friend George, he built, he took a rod and he built it in a four side, and he built it in a five side, and he built it in a six side. So mm-hmm. it was a pr- it was a a scientific project. <laughs> so you could go cast those rods at, at the Canadian King Gathering, and you yeah. could say, hey, here it is. you know, And you could say, wow, that's that's mm-hmm. totally different. I know Joe likes the four-sided rods. Yeah, uh, They're a little bit more difficult to make, a little more fussy, yeah, um, and very valid. And the five-sided is very valid as well. Interesting. So the, yeah, there's, I'm sure someone's built a three-sided rod at one point. 
Oh, who knows? Probably. Yeah. yeah. You can be, or Yelma, yeah. you could be the first. Uh, no, you can cut it out. Of the, <laughs> um, <laughs> cut it out of the, the podcast. <laughs> it's really interesting to talk about how the sport's changing, how it's changed so much over the years so quickly, yeah. and it's always great to meet people who um, kind of pay respect to like where it's where it's come from and appreciate the past. I think it's an. I mean, fly fishing—that's a huge thing for me—is where it came from and all the knowledge and all the passion that's gone into it over the years. So that's really cool. You talk about it like that way, but you were just down in New Jersey, right? At the uh, fly, there's a big fly fishing show. Yeah, it kind of goes around North America, like the you know. So yeah. it used to be called the Somerset Show. It's in New Jersey, and um, it's a great big trade show where there's booths from all the companies. A lot of travel companies are there innovation and and all that stuff too is going on i imagine right yeah it's it's a consumer show right you know it's for people to uh that participate in the industry so tackle sellers yeah um fly tying material guys like you know sage has a booth and sims has a booth and they're not selling to the consumer but they have their people there and you can see all their products all in one place so ask what's the new this year yeah and... so let's say you want to buy a new rod you can go talk to the sage guy go talk to the winston guy the reddington guy they all have a booth there yeah plus there's a million guys tying flies and we forget in Ontario because we kind of get stuck in our little world, but they have their whole saltwater fishing, right? So yeah. they've got striper nice. fishing. So all those guys are there tying these giant flies. And, yep. and then there's seminars going on and, you know, learning to read the water. And, yeah. uh, I went to ones, I went to a few, quite a few seminars, but the one I went to was by Gary Borger. And this is a guy who made a, a video in 1982, which was the first fly fishing instructional video ever made what was funded by 3m <laughs> they made these movies and for me honest to god i played that thing till it was dead this man's voice is in my head for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah and he's i think he was born around 1945 whatever that works out to be so he's up there doing these seminars still i went to listen not so much to reading the water because yeah. um you know that's sure. fine. I think I figured that part out, yeah. but because he's such an engaging speaker, such Scary. a famous guy, and yeah. uh, I, I had it so entertained. Yeah, so entertained. He told me one thing. I was you always whenever you go to a seminar or a speaker, you want to find one thing, mm-hmm. one thing that you can take away. And if you get that in an hour, you know you're golden. So what he gave me was, fish is a wild animal. Wild animals only need three things: don't get eaten. Eat enough to stay alive, make babies. Yeah. That's it. So when you're trout fishing and you got that in your mind, where's the fish going to be? He's not going to be eaten. Mm-hmm. Where's the fish going to be so you can eat to stay alive? Mm-hmm. You know, you're already trying to figure things out. Yeah, yeah. it's true, yeah. You know, it, was, uh, it was a nice little simple way of oh, distilling absolutely. the whole thing down. <laughs> it is. It's so interesting how... Yeah, how simple that is, right? But it's sometimes maybe we just lose sight of the simplicity of it. They're not smart. Fish. <laughs> yeah, fish don't have town hall meetings. They don't <laughs> talk to one another. People say, "Well, they've they've learned not to take that fight." No, they haven't. Yeah, you know, they're living in the same streams, yeah. eating the same insects yeah. at the same time in the same place that yeah. they did seventy years ago. Always right where they've always been, right? You got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's up to you. Exactly. Uh, the, the full one crack the code at their own in their own uh, environment that's right yeah mm-hmm. no for sure well we do a segment on the show called Mitchie's Fishies 5 where we ask the guest five questions 
we always ask these same five questions because you know we usually change questions throughout the show based on who we have on it's always a different conversation but these five always stick around so i think we're going to ask you these five but to segue into that i want to ask just one question that we've touched on yeah but just to kind of sum up the the whole bamboo world before heading into mitchie's fishy five and that is why do you fly fish with bamboo rods i think small stream fly fishing for trout the bamboo rod's a superior fishing tool. It is as simple as that. It is a serious, if I was going to fly to Iceland to fish for salmon, I'm gonna grab a graphite rod. Mm -hmm. But small stream fly fishing for trout in Ontario, Pennsylvania, all these places, I want a bamboo rod. I think it's a better fishing tool. It's a great answer, and I kinda wanna leave it at that so that people can go figure it out and see why for themselves. Mitchie's Fishies 5, okay, we got five questions here, and these are like stripped back Take as long as you want to answer. Sure. Think about them. Whatever. So this first question is, what is your favorite fish and why? Well, I'm going to have to say it's the brown trout because they're so beautiful. I mean, I think that's what pulled me in. It was the buying the magazines, you know, Field and Stream, Fly yeah. Fisherman in the 1970s, 1980s, seeing these pictures of these fish. They did not look like smallmouth bass. Yeah, they were spectacular looking. So I'm gonna go with the brown trout. That brown trout are amazing. It's um, it's, I love them. It's a recurrent uh, fish that we hear from our guests. Southern Ontario. We love our brown trout in Southern Ontario. You know, it's funny. Well, I, I love mean, it. I, I didn't love it until I caught one. Yeah. There you go. So there They're, you go. They look folks. differently everywhere too, which is <laughs> kind of neat. Like they look yeah. differently based on the environment. So. Yeah. But you know, I gotta say, I gotta say that the brown trout from the upper credit. There's like something special about there them. Is. Yeah, there they, is. They like mm-hmm. the color I've seen on them, like from like blue cheeks to buttery bottom and so colorful. Upstate yeah. man too, upstate New York. Yeah, but I'm yeah. the fish up there are just amazing. I didn't yeah. see them from my own eyes mm-hmm. and uh, the upper credit I've seen it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They it's are true. a beautiful kind. It's true. So this next question um can be any time of year, any time of day. <laughs> Whenever, but if you could fish anywhere in the world, assuming it's the best season for it, where would you go right now and why? Anywhere, anytime. Anywhere, anytime. Free pass this year. It would be the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. I think. I was able to fish in Colorado quite a bit. I fished in Washington, Idaho. Um, there's so much angling opportunity there. Uh, I think the thing that pulled me into fly fishing and trout fishing in the beginning was that it is always taking place in a beautiful area. Yeah. So you think the Adirondacks are beautiful? Go to Colorado. Oh, man, I need to. <laughs> you know, it's like having a zoom lens, you know. Yeah. It's I, like, I, wow. Yeah. yeah. Aldo and I went fishing for the first time. Aldo for the second time. For me, the first time in Montana in November. Yep. And uh, I totally get it now. You know, before I was like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. The Rockies are cool. Now that I have, I have experienced it, it's like, it's like I, I, I more than get it now. I'm like, yes. You can go float. Yes, you know, the Rocky Mountains. Know, float fishing you know, is pretty expensive if you're a tourist, you know, because it's quite a bit mm-hmm. of money per day. But you can go float fishing. Mm-hmm. You can go wade fishing. You can go high-altitude mountains. So hike and camp yeah. and go fish a little tiny lake that has Beautiful, small, wonderful fish in it. You're probably the only person there. <laughs> Take a trip on horseback. Like it's the horseback is something I really want to do. It's cool, you know. Like, like um, yeah. that's cool. You know, get your inner cowboy and yeah, and, yeah. and go to places that you just can't get to on foot. 
Yeah. yeah. And uh, so the Rocky Mountains, whether it's in Canada or America, doesn't really matter. I love that. Yeah. Uh, okay, number three. Maybe this ties into the last one. I'm not sure, but what is your best fishing memory? Best or favorite fishing memory? Well, you know, fishing in uh, the salt water on the Pier of St. Andrews, New Brunswick. Yeah. Um, where it all started. Where it all started still resonates with me. I was able to go back and spend some summers with my godmother there. You know, you can catch a flounder or a skate or a sculpin or a mackerel or a pollock, you know, pretty amazing. For trout fishing, you know, I've been pretty lucky. I've been able to go to some pretty cool places, but, uh, you know, Colorado fishing in the Frying Pan River, fishing in the Yakima River, fishing, those places are pretty, pretty amazing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, out east sounds amazing too. And we talk about the Rockies, but out east is just like, especially learning to fish in such a crazy place. Number four is quite a broad one. Um, It's a a dig deeper. Why do you fly fish? Because I want to. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) So when you you get up in the morning and you go to work and you wish you were fishing, uh, and then when you got free time, you go fishing. And for me, it's kind of bizarre because I don't fish that much compared to some people, yeah. like like Bill, who we all know. You know, yes. Bill Bill's out there making it happen almost but, every day. <laughs> so for me, for my fishing, it's my my book collection, it's fly tying, mm-hmm. it's rod making. I can do at home. We live in a country where, for us, for trout, you know, trout fishing is basically May one end of September. Yeah. What are you going to do? You need to go steal. I do a tiny bit of steelhead fishing. I'm not particularly great at it. I, I do enjoy it. I'll go out, but basically, I stop fishing around November fifteen, December yeah. one, or whatever, and I can still fish at home. Yeah. So that's why it's a great I way like to look it at so it. Much. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way to yeah. look at it because it's really like fly fishing is not. Uh, just about being actually on the water, right? It's everything else around it. The yeah. books, like you say, the yeah. tying. Mm-hmm. Doing the your rods. homework, like we yeah. said earlier. Yeah. Just like anything nowadays, too, with the internet, watching videos, yeah. listening to podcasts. It's a nice commitment <laughs> yeah. all the time. This is my favorite, Mitchie's Fishy, and it's the last of the Mitchie's Fishies 5. And They've I, been good so far, so this, a lot this of pressure on you the, now. This one's the best. I love this one because everybody's always had such a kick-ass answer. I love it. I'm excited, um, actually. Me, too. Okay, so this one is... What fly pattern represents you the best and why? If you were a fly, what would you be? What? Well, I'd probably be a red quill uh, or a Hendrickson because yeah. uh, it's the first dry fly of the season. You know, Art Flick, he's sort of one of my guys, if you're going to have a guy. you know, those, uh, He invented the red quill. Um, I think Catskill dry flies are the most beautiful flies in the world. Mm-hmm. There's some crazy Italian guy on YouTube. Um, <laughs> I don't know his name. He's got some tattoos. And he's a young guy and he wears a vest. Is his name Aldo? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's from Italy because they're in Italian. Yeah. Um, he ties these spectacular. If you ever go on YouTube, look for this guy. You yeah. know, Catskill dry flies. You're going to find them. These flies, when they're finished, oh, yeah. are, are so perfect. The mm. proportion so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would be if I was, you know, my favorite fly or picking a fly. That's a great, I love that answer, yeah. Yeah. I so, think it, and I think so it, awesome. I get I get it. Yeah. I get it. James, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank it has so been much. amazing. And we need to have you on again, too, in the future. Well, I need to do a shameless plug for Canadian Cane. I, that's exactly what yeah, we want. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, canadiancane.com. So that's where you go to find out. It's in Fergus, Ontario. I 
think it's May 25th. It's the weekend after our May 24th. So it's okay. Yeah, it's the the it's Memorial Day weekend in the U.S. Anyone that um, is welcome, don't feel intimidated. We should uh, go. It's I'm I'm interested. I want to go. It's first of all, there's rods to cast and see and people and we feed you and we give you dinner and um, if you're at all thinking about it, building a bamboo rod or learning more about bamboo rods or meeting the other people in Ontario on bamboo rods. You know, it's not, it's, you kind of have to get involved. Don't just come and stand there. You know, you got to come and yeah. figure it out. So we'd love to, we'd love to have the people come to that. Um, if anybody has any bamboo questions, like I get a lot of emails through the Canadian King website, yep. but if somebody wants to learn how to get started, somebody wants to take lessons, if someone needs anything, you can reach out to me. I am canebuilder at gmail.com. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's, that's great. Cane builder. <laughs> yeah, I love it's, it's I love pretty it. simple. I love um, it. But I get, I get questions all the time. I got this rod. They send me these pictures, and you know they're horrible pictures because taking a picture of a nine-foot thing with your cell phone camera is like I don't know what it is half <laughs> the time. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So you know, feel free to reach out to me and um, ask me any questions. Um, happy to do it. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll put the uh, link to the website and the email in our show notes. Yeah, so appreciate. It. And we'll post about it on social too. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I, I Canadian. The gathering sounds awesome. We've heard about it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we should all go. It'd be we should sweet. show up this year. It'd be really we cool to show see up. what yeah, it's all yeah, about. I'd love yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. My absolute pleasure. It's been amazing. Okay, thank you so much again to uh, James Bond for coming on the show. Um, that was amazing conversation. Such an interesting, cool, amazing dude. I mean, like the fact that he builds these rods and um and fly fishes the way he does. it's just like awesome show thank you so much for coming on and everybody check out uh, canadian cane and check out um the gathering coming up in may well again we'll post those notes on social we'll post them in the show notes and um yeah so now we're going to talk about something we put out on the um new year show end of the year show which was uh inviting people to send us their stories from 2018 I think this is appropriate time to to bring up these stories. We got sent tons of stories from people that were wrapping up their 2018 year, and um, you know, being in the end of January now, where f- this is our final look back at 2018, we're going to read these stories out on air, and uh, we're going to pick a couple to send some hoodies. Some of our winners for these hoodies, we're going to send two hoodies out to people. The the famously comfort com- famously comfortable famously hoodie. comfortable famously. <laughs> my mother-in-law said they were amazing they are they're great man i wear mine all the time um okay thank you everybody for sending in your stories first of all we're going to kick it off with mike lennox mike here is mike's best story from 2018 it was a beautiful day in early may on the beautiful ganaraska river we were there midweek and the crowds were low and the fish were numerous well it's hard to feel zen-like feelings while downtown port hope uh, the beautiful chrome steelhead had us giddy and thankful for our good timing and plentiful fish. So as we were filming, we noticed someone on the bridge close to us. She donned a trench coat and was somewhere in the 40 to 50-year-old range. She said, quote, any of you fellas want to catch me for supper? Quote. <laughs> and opened up her trench coat, which she was not wearing anything underneath. It was quite a scenario, similar to a car crash, uh, and they wanted to look away but couldn't, and they politely declined to continue to fish. Amazing story, man. That's Thank an you. awesome story. <laughs> in Port Hope. Good old Port Hope, eh? Mike, thanks for this. sending that in, <laughs> my friend. Uh, Gav, want to take this next one? All right. This one is from Justin Garant. 
And uh, here it goes. Fishing has been a part of my life since I could throw a line forward. As a young lad, it was tossing a split worm on a hook of our homemade dock into the water of Lake Erie, hoping to land some perch, but more often would reel in a log in the shape of a sheep head. <laughs> oh, sheep head are awesome, eh? Like yeah. the, uh, as, they, as the year have come and gone, so did fishing. Some of those years were fished more than others. Then a few years ago, I found fly fishing. Hey, the... Totally cool. It it hit me like a Mack truck colliding with a moose on it <laughs> on the <laughs> transcan. <laughs> so analogy. good, so good. Um, I'm still quite new to casting a fly rod, going into my fourth year now. With I am addicted. I don't get as much. Uh, I don't get out as much as I'd like to. With a 19 months old daughter, another one on the way. Hey, just say put them in your backpack. <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, by I the did way. that with my dog. And congratulations, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did that with my dog. Yeah, yeah, with my chihuahua, put him in the backpack. What was Cast his name again? Uh, Nacho. Oh, the good old Very Nacho. original. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm still uh, okay. And then, uh, yeah, he's got a uh, 19 months years old. Uh, he's got another one on the way, and uh, he get at least uh, an hour from anything uh, but the Tams. Oh, I fished the Tams before. It's awesome. He's got good smallmouth and and good uh, good 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 carp. I'm sure there's more stuff, but uh, but one of my favorite moments of 2018 was taking my beautiful daughter, who was just under a year, and my beautiful wife to join in the adventure on the Maitland River. Kate is my best friend. Has always been up for a plan our adventure, and I look forward to spending more time in on the water with her. She rocked her waders through her first pregnancy and even caught a few fish. <laughs> and awesome. uh, hey, I've, uh, yeah, congrats because uh, I really want to take my wife too. I totally get it. You know, it it should be uh, should be enjoyed by everyone in the family. You got to teach them young. I was aiming uh, for trout on the Maitland a couple of weeks uh, after opener, but the journey was really just to show our daughter, Ellie, the world of fly fishing. It was bluebird day and little to no wading and no trout were found. We did land a couple of smallies and nipped at a uh, beaded nymph. It was pretty cool and netting one that was a good size, all of which were quickly released and known to be out of season. We fished for maybe two hours close to the town of, of Ben Miller, hiked back to out to our car and had a delicious lunch in Gutteridge, Ontario, with some awesome dessert and memories to store away. I do hope my children will fall in love with the world of uh, fishing and on the fly the way that I have, but I will support them in any outdoor activity. What a beautiful thing to say. I don't have kids yet. I'm just an uncle, but... But this is the way to approach it. Great story. Yes. That's a great memory from So awesome. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you, kids. And now we've got uh now we've got one sent in by Mitchell Roberts. Mitchell, thanks for sending us in. His story from twenty eighteen goes like this. The very last weekend of salmon season I made my way to my favorite river in Nova Scotia. My waders had a horrible leak in them, so I had to get to Halifax first to send them away for repairs. And while I was at it I bit the bullet and bought a nice a nicer set. I set up for the river and got there kind of late. However, there was no one at the pool when I arrived. I geared up, stepped in. 20 minutes later, I was into a beautiful 10-pound buck, and I landed him. Took a quick photo, uh, and you can see that on his Instagram, at Life Between Lines. He revived him, watched him swim away with lots of gusto, and it, he says it was an amazing feeling. Shortly after, a good friend showed up, 
and uh, Mitchell says that he was about halfway through the pool at this point. He hadn't been there five minutes before, and then uh, Mitchell hooked into a really fresh 15-pound hen. She was full of energy, jumped immediately. As soon as she did that, knowing how inexperienced I am, I turned to my friend and said, 10 bucks says I lose this fish. Unfortunately, I was right and lost her on the fourth leap, but I was so thrilled to hook in such an amazing fish. And to top that all off, I hooked and lost yet another fish about 10 minutes later. That's an amazing story, Mitchell. Thank you so much for sending it in. Even catching, you know, even just hooking into fish and losing them can be uh, an amazing experience. Some best fish yeah. are the one that were never brought to your hand. Oh, my God. Somebody put that on a T-shirt quick. Okay, we've got another s- story sent in from Francis. All right, I want to read this one. I want to yes. read this one. Francis, okay. Hey, Francis Delaurier from uh, my mother province. Yes, and this guy's got it right, and you're going to know right away why. In 2018, I was a great was a great fishing year for me. I started working remotely so I could move to Gaspésie, Quebec to enjoy the outdoor more. My best memory for this year is from late September while fishing striped bass. At that point of the year, all the summer tourists are gone and fishing spots are really quiet. It was about 10 p.m. on a really cold night, not a cloud in the sky. I could see the stars like never before. I was knee-deep in the sea, and the distinctive sound of striped bass jumping, attacking, were coming from all around me. I was casting my fly wherever I was hearing those sounds. In the end, I caught a few average-sized basses. That night, it was such a peaceful moment, really relaxing. Quiet and peaceful place. No sound but those of the fish. This is my yoga. And that was from Francis Delorier. All right, Adam Mass, here we go. Thank you so much for sending the story in. This is Adam's favorite 2018 moment. My favorite memory for me this fishing season was teaching my girlfriend's brother, Damien, how to fly fish. Damien has autism and sometimes struggles with tasks that require a lot of coordination, such as fly casting does. We live in Calgary, Alberta, and get the pleasure of fishing on the Bow River. Although the Bow has an abundance of really nice fish, it can be challenging river to fish and, uh, and have success. Damien picked up a fly rod for the first time in April 2018, an old Bass Pro six-weight setup I no longer had use for. We practiced casting while the snow was still on the ground and, uh, and hit a pond close to the house to try to catch some farmed rainbows. When the water on the bow cleared enough, we were out on the water almost every week. Damien's casting got better and better with each trip, but never had any luck hooking into fish. Finally, on a cool day in September, we went on a day trip to the southern part of the province to fish the Crow's Nest River. It's smaller water and a bit easier to read and find fish. We had seen a few rainbows rising in the nice run. We tried our best to move slowly into position, which is not easy when Damien gets excited about something. Although I've been known to spook my fair share of rising fish, rushing my clumsy ass into position. After a few attempts, Damien got on a nice drift, going with the pheasant tail nymph. The indicator slammed under, and Adam yelled, set, set, set scaring the shit out of Damien. <laughs> but the rod, too, went up, and the fight was on. After a bit of a clunky battle, we netted the gorgeous rainbow. I'll let the picture tell you how excited we both were to get the fish on for Damien. That's a really uh, amazing story about somebody's first fish, and like a, it sounds like a beautiful fish. We do have the picture here, and it's amazing. They're both like super excited. We'll post that on the SoFi Definitely. Spotlight. We should, we'll post we that on our social for sure. Thank you so much, Adam, for sending that in. Sounds like you and Damien uh, had a really nice day out on the water, and that's what it's all about. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
And we got another story sent in from Brandon. Brandon, this is Brandon Gabler's best 2018 moment. Earlier in the week, I had mentioned going fishing later that weekend, and my oldest daughter, Harper, overheard me. A few days passed, and the day I planned on fishing ended up being a cold, rainy day. There's no way she'll ever want to go, I thought. From the moment she woke up at 7 a.m., she was asking to go. Oh, that's hilarious. No matter how many times I tried to tell her it was raining and cold, she responded with, it's only water, I'll wear my coat. Look at that perseverance. Around noon, we decided to venture out for carp. It was the only fish I knew was still in the area. The weather wasn't giving us uh, any chance to let up. Um, but she was, and Harper was, the weather wasn't giving up and the wind started to pick up a little more and Harper was finally starting to get cold. So he took off his vest he was wearing and gave it to her. She also had uh, his hat to sit on, uh, so she wouldn't get wet. Harper was appeased, at least for the time being. A few minutes passed and she mentioned that she was getting cold again. At this moment, the left rod began to bend down and then it stopped. Bend down and it stopped. Figured I'd nudge it a little. That little nudge was all we were going to get for the day. A minute or two went by and the rod was bouncing again. The line began to peel off the reel and I jumped to my feet and pulled back the rod and set the hook and the fight was on. My phone just happened to be in the breast pocket of my vest, which Harper was sitting on, fumbling with the coat. She couldn't figure out what pocket I was talking about, so I handed her the rod. If any of you fish with a four-year-old, you know they're quick on the reel and the hook is never truly set. By the time I got the phone out, Harper had the fish nearly to the bank. Oh my God, that's amazing. I grabbed the line and handed her the phone and she kept saying, we caught one, it's a big one. All while I was saying, take a picture, Harper, hurry, get a few pictures on my phone. The battle was now over, the memories were made, the venture back to the house had begun. We were both cold now. Little did I know, I'd quickly warm up by carrying our gear, both poles and Harper. (laughs) That's awesome. It's a great story, Brandon. Thank you so much for uh, sending that in. So good. I love hearing uh, stories with kids because they they all remember that, you know. Okay, this next story is from Sean Davis. Fly fishing was a type of fishing I had always been fascinated with. The casting, fly selection, fly tying, environment knowledge, and reading it. The solitude it allows, the camaraderie it provides. All of it. After several nights of drinks and much back and forth with a friend who has fly fished for years before getting me on the river, I traded a box of cigar for my first what will likely be many fly rods and handful of flies and some odds and sods to get me started. Jump forward a couple few months, I found myself gearing up with shiny new waders and boots, my new to me, fly setup and the vision of catching the biggest thing to ever come out of the credit river without a clue how to do it which each step down the streams the fear i had of falling and becoming a walking water balloon lessened and my questions about why cast there and not here or why that streamer and not this fly became too much for my friend guide and he put me on the bank and said you're a smart guy figure it out 30 minutes later i after were uh, figure 30 minutes later after f- uh, working a bank and fallen trees to death i felt the fight of my first brown give and take 18 inches and knew i would be a fly fisherman for life the rest of the day resulted in my friend breaking two rods, including his wife's, and the one uh, he had just had fixed from breaking weeks before. 
him falling in the river and becoming a walking bag of water, me coming up f more question for me coming up for more questions and thoughts for our next outing and what I believe to be the best part of England and hunting. A spirit of friendship and belonging to what I feel to be really special community. Six or so months later, after collecting a pile of books, magazine, and website to go through over the winter, I found myself at a table at Leftfield Brewery with a vice in front of me on edge at a rabbit of a rabbit hole I did not inspect. The world fly tying had catch at catching that brown. Not solidifying my love for fly fishing that introductions to fly tying did. From all those instructions to my conversation with Gab, thanks man, I came away with a need to learn about this amazing sport and delighted to meet other who shared similar views on conversation. Thanks so much, John Davis. And uh, it's all about conversation, you know. We, uh, we spent so much time inside our house by ourselves tying flies and thinking about it. It's nice to... Get out, grab a beer, some libations, and talk with other like-minded people. Alex Alsop, thank you so much for sending in the story. This is Alex's best 2018 story. In July, my girlfriend and I drove to Tofino for a weekend getaway. It rained the entire drive. We listened to the SoFly episode 12. Hey, thank you, brother. Except for about three hours when we stopped in Port Alberni, about two hours outside of Tofino. Port Alberni is home to some of the best steelhead fishing on the West Coast. My girlfriend let me spend two hours on the river before we continued our drive. That's pretty rad. Good girlfriend. Sounds like a nice lady. While using a fairly heavily weighted streamer, I managed to snag my fly on the rocks on the bottom of the river. Not wanting to lose the fly, I took my shoes off and rolled up my pants. I did not have my waders on me. So he was just wet wading in his pants and started to wade into the river. I was about knee deep when I realized that the river went a lot deeper than I thought. I continued into the river up to my waist deep in water, got one arm soaked trying to fish the fly to the rocks, turned back to the shore in triumph, that I did not lose the fly, and just to see my girlfriend dying of laughter. As I started to wade back to the shore, the heavens opened up and I got even wetter. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. We ran back to the car, I stripped down my underwear, and proceeded to drive the next two hours in just my <laughs> boxers. Although I didn't catch any fish, seeing the smile on my girlfriend's face was definitely worth getting soaked over. Amazing. Great story. Thanks so much for sending it. You know what? It's not always about, like, uh, we love to catch fish. There's no doubt about that, you know? Mm -hmm. But the adventure is what's fun. The guy drove yeah. with no pants on. Yeah. This is what it's all about. And hanging out with people that you love. Yeah. Having You're with your time. girlfriend. In Tofino. You're driving after a steelhead day, and you got no pants in Tofino. on. Tofino. Tofino is so awesome. So. Okay. There's got one more story left here. I'm going to okay. read, oh. read this one out because this is my cousin. It is your cousin. Yeah. Brendan Snively. My name is Brendan Snively. I'm from Normandale, Ontario. I'm cousins to the infamous Mitch Doosling. I'm a trout, trout fisherman who loves throwing spinners and spoons. And when the time is right, I love using my center pin. The story I have for the 2018 year is two-parter. First, which is short and sweet. I was in the market for a new pole, even though my wife says I have too many. She doesn't believe we need different fishing poles for different weather, temperatures, different days of the week, etc. So I got online with the old favorite Cabela's and picked a, out a beauty nine-foot uh, nine Fenwick. Very versatile. When it arrived, I opened it up to find two poles in the box, both the same. Lucky for my wife, she now has the chance to enjoy my obsession. 
The second part of my 2018 fishing year, with my new poles in hand, the father-in-law and I went up to northern Ontario to a small cabin north of Nakina. It was mid-August. The weather stayed awesome all week. Driving up took us roughly 18 hours. Once we got to Nakina, we had two, another two hours down a part gravel, part dirt road and, and ended up at a small cabin nestled on a giant river, which had which they had all to their to themselves. Along the way, I got to see the northern lights for the first time, which was incredible. That is incredible. The cabin rental came supplied with boats, motors, and fuel, so there was no worries for breaking down or running out of fuel. We fished for five days and caught an unlimited number of walleye and pike. It didn't matter what I threw. Spinners, spoons, jigs, flies, even leeches. We were hammering fish all week long. I did try for some brook trout in the early mornings and ha- said... and early mornings at some said hot spots but was unsuccessful might have been too late in the season or even the water was quite high either way the trip was amazing and i can't uh, wait to go again also the amount of wildlife we saw was awesome we encountered a cow moose and had some beavers swimming around smashing their tails out the water fortunately for me santa claus brought me some flies this year so this 2019 season is going to be the year of the fly so, Mr. Doozling, I'm going to need some mentoring. Well, you better look at somewhere else. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> definitely not Yilma. Aldo and Gab. Aldo and Gab can teach hey, you. Hey, so, so, so are you. So are yeah, you. Yeah, like, okay. I, I don't deserve as much credit as you guys <laughs> give me. I'm, I'm no, a shit teacher. <laughs> we'll for sure hit the water. I enjoy the podcasts and have a lot to catch up on. Keep the show going. It's great. Thanks for the chance to tell my story, and I wish you guys all the luck 2019 season. Brandon, thank you so much. I'll, uh, I'll give you a text after this, and... Uh, We'll set up a date to go fishing. Brandon, bro. that was such a good trip. You catch. Yeah, it's cool. A, like a lot of fish and saw wildlife. Mm-hmm. That right there, Species. that can be one day, that can be two days, that can be a week. It's yeah. amazing in itself. It was our trip up to um, Attawapiskat. So yeah. 2018. Yeah. That was my and even, even on the Attawapiskat River, we had some day that the fish were not that cooperating. Like we always caught, but sometimes you had to work for it. Well, your boat. Yes, <laughs> that is true. I'm just kidding. I'm just but kidding. hey, and and there is. I mean, Sometimes I mean, work. we search for moose yeah. almost every single day, yes. and we didn't see a single one. Heard them. We heard one that one day. Ooh, yeah. that was crazy. But hey, didn't see any moose because there's yep. too much wolf. Beautiful pr- uh, problem. Problem. Have, I know. Right? It's very true. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, so much for sending in your stories. Honestly, um, we're so many stories here. We have like tons and tons of stories, and it's great to hear from everybody's 2018 season that everybody's doing good. We got two hoodies to give away, and we're going to give them away right now. I think the first one, I'm going to say the first one I got is going out to Adam Mass. Adam, thank you so much for sending in that story of you and um, and Damien going out fishing and catching, and Damien catching his first fish for the first time. That was an awesome story. Um, we all loved it. And you know what? We're going to send a hoodie to Damien, too, so you guys can have a matching hoodie. So you guys can wear them around uh, around your girlfriend and uh, really bug her. That's always fun, right? And they are very comfortable. <laughs> they're so they're so comfortable. Gabs, who's who's getting hoodie number two? Come on, baby. Number two will be given to Justin Garrett. Congratulations! It was an amazing Come. story. Take your kids fishing. Doesn't matter how old they are. Yes. In a stroller, in a backpack, in a basket. It's just a nice story just about just Ontario fly fishing, man. It's Ontario. Great. I love it. And about sharing too. You know, you got to teach. You want to show people. Yeah. So, everybody, thank you so much for sending all those stories in. Yes. Congratulations, Adam, Damien, and Justin on those hoodies. We'll send them out to you. We're going to hit you guys up in the old emails. And um, thank you so much for listening to this James Bond show. Yeah, thank you. 
James a, Bond is a wealth of uh, knowledge. A legend. It's crazy. Like we talked a lot about um, uh, Kane and and Bamboo Rod, but 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 he's uh, he's a wealth of knowledge about the river that he fished. Yeah. Um, he just knows so much more. We just literally scratched a tiny part of of his knowledge tonight. He's a legend. We can probably spend five hours with him and 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 learn something every second of it. It was it was really awesome, and it's so good to, to for him to come during a a, a snowstorm day. <laughs> thank you so much, James Bond, for coming on the show. It was, it was awesome, and thanks everybody for listening, and um, and thank you for sending your stories and lots of thanks to the show. But uh, I really appreciate everybody listening, and um, take care. Oh.